0: CHAPTER FIVE OF SIX YEARS WITH THE TEXAS RANGERS, 1875-1881. to 1881. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. READ BY WAYNE COOK. SIX YEARS WITH THE TEXAS RANGERS, 1875-1881. to 1881, BY JAMES B. GILLETTE. THE MASON COUNTY WAR Soon after our return from our first brush with Indians, we were introduced to yet another phase of ranger activity, the quieting of feuds. For not only were the rangers employed in protecting our frontiers against the Indians, but they were also frequently called upon to preserve law and order within the towns and cities of the state. In those early days, men's passions were high and easily aroused. In a country where all men went armed, recourse to firearms was frequent, and these feuds sometimes led to active warfare between the adherents of each party to the great discomfort of the citizens among whom such a miniature war was staged. Mason and the adjoining county, Gillespie, had been settled by Germans in the early history of the state, These settlers were quiet, peaceful, and made most excellent citizens, loyal to their adopted country and government when undisturbed. Most of these Germans engaged in stock-raising, and were sorely tried by the rustlers and Indians that committed many depredations upon their cattle. In the latter part of September 1875, Tim Williamson, a prominent cattleman living in Mason County, was arrested on a charge of cattle theft by John Worley, a deputy sheriff of that county. Previous to that time there had been a number of complaints about loss of cattle, and the Germans charged that many of their cattle had been stolen and the brands burned. Much indignation had been aroused among the stockmen of the county, and threats of violence against the thieves were common. As soon as the news of Williamson's arrest on charge of cattle thieving became known, a large mob formed and set out in pursuit of the deputy sheriff and his prisoner. On his way to Mason, Warley was overtaken by this posse. When he saw the pursuing men, Williamson divined their purpose and begged the sheriff to let him run in an effort to save his life. Worley refused and, it is said, drew his pistol, and deliberately shot Williamson's horse through the loin, causing it to fall. Unarmed and unmounted, Williamson was killed without a chance to protect himself and without any pretense of a trial. After the murder, Worley and the mob disappeared. Whether or not Williamson was guilty of the charge against him, he had friends who bitterly resented the deputy sheriff's refusal to allow the murdered man a chance for his life, and his death caused a great deal of excitement and bitter comment in the county. A man named Scott Cooley, an ex-ranger of Captain Perry's Company D, was a particular friend of Williamson and his family. Cooley had quit the ranger service at the time of his friend's murder, and was cultivating a farm near Menardville. He had worked for the dead man and had made two trips up the trail with him. While working with the murdered cattleman, Cooley contracted a bad case of typhoid fever and had been nursed back to health by Mrs. Williamson's own hands. When the news of Tim Williamson's murder reached Scott Cooley, he was much incensed and vowed vengeance against the murderers of his friend. He left his farm at once and, saddling his pony, rode into the town of Mason, heavily armed. He had worked out a careful plan of his own, and proceeded to put it into execution immediately on his arrival. Stabling his horse in a livery stable, he registered at the hotel. As he was entirely unknown in Mason, Cooley remained in town several days without creating any suspicion. He proved himself a good detective, and soon discovered that the sheriff and his deputy were the leaders in the mob that had killed his friend. Biding his time and pursuing his investigations, He soon learned the names of every man in the posse that murdered Williamson. His information complete, Cooley decided upon action. He mounted his pony and rode out to the home of John Worley, the deputy sheriff that had refused Williamson a chance to flee for his life. Cooley found Worley engaged in cleaning out a well. The avenger dismounted, asked for a drink of water, and entered into conversation with the unsuspecting man. Finally, as Worley was drawing his assistant out of the well, Cooley asked him if his name was John Worley. The deputy sheriff replied that it was. Cooley then declared his mission, and shot the sheriff to death. At the first crack of Cooley's pistol, Worley let the windlass go, and the man he was drawing up out of the well fell back about twenty-five feet into it. Cooley deliberately stooped down, cut off both of Worley's ears, put them in his pocket and galloped off victim number one was chalked up to williamson's credit making a quick ride across mason county to the western edge of llano county cooley waylaid and killed pete brader the second on his list of mob members these two murders struck terror in the hearts of nearly every citizen of mason county no one could tell who would be the next victim of the unerring aim of Scott Cooley's rifle. The whole county rose up in arms to protect themselves. Terrified lest he be the next victim of the avenger, Cooley, the sheriff of Mason County promptly left Mason and never returned. Tim Williamson had other friends anxious to avenge him, and the killing of Brader was their rallying signal. John and Most Beard, George Gladden, and John Ringgold immediately joined Cooley in his work of vengeance. The gang rode into the town of Mason, and in a fight with a posse of citizens, killed another man. Fearing the outbreak of a real feud war in Mason, the governor of Texas ordered Major Jones to the relief of the frightened citizens. The order reached Major Jones while he was on his way down the line, near the head of the Guadalupe River. He at once turned his company back, and with a detachment of ten men from Company D, he marched to Mason. Company A, Major Jones's escort, was then commanded by Captain Ira Long, and the thirty men in that company and the ten boys of Company D gave the Major forty men for his relief expedition. Before the rangers could reach Mason, the sheriff's party had a fight with Cooley's gang down on the Yano River and killed Mos Beard. On his arrival in Mason, Major Jones sent scouts in every direction to hunt Cooley. He kept this up for nearly two weeks, but without result. He finally learned that nearly the whole of his command, especially the Company D boys that had ranged with Cooley, was in sympathy with the outlaw, and was making no serious attempt to locate or imperil him. It was even charged that some of the Company D rangers met Cooley at night on the outskirts of Mason— and told him they did not care if he killed every deed dutchman in mason county that formed part of the mob that had murdered williamson major jones saw that he would have to take drastic steps at once he drew up his whole force of 40 men and made them an eloquent speech he said he had a special pride in the frontier battalion and was making it his life study and that he personally had a kindly feeling for every man in the service He then reminded the men, in the most feeling manner, of the oath they had taken to protect the state of Texas against all her enemies whatsoever, an oath every true man was bound to honor. He declared he knew many of the command had a friendly feeling for Scott Cooley, especially those boys who had shared the life of a ranger with him, and that he himself felt keenly the position in which they were placed while Tim Williamson had met a horrible death at the hands of a relentless mob. That did not justify Cooley in killing people in a private war of vengeance and defiance of the law and the Rangers. As the climax of his speech, the Major said, "'Men, I now have a proposition to make to you. If every man here who is in sympathy with Scott Cooley and his gang, and who does not wish to pursue him to the bitter end— will step out of ranks, I will issue him an honorable discharge, and let him quit the service clean. The Major paused, and about fifteen men stepped to the front. Gentlemen, continued Major Jones, those who do not avail themselves of this opportunity, I shall expect to use all diligence and strength in helping me to break up or capture those violators of the law. After the discharge of the Cooley sympathizers, the Rangers went to work with a new vigor and finally captured George Gladden and John Ringgold. Gladden was sent to the state penitentiary for twenty-five years, while Ringgold received a life sentence. Probably Scott Cooley was informed of Major Jones's appeal to the Rangers, for he became less active around Mason after this. John Beard, it was reported, skipped Texas and went to Arizona. Soon after Cooley killed John Worley, Norman Rogers got permission from Captain Roberts to ride over to Joe Franks's cow outfit to exchange his horse for a better one. When Rogers rode into the cowboy camp, he noticed a man resting under a tree near the fire. The stranger called one of the cowboys and asked him who Norman was. As Rogers left camp, this man followed him and asked if he were one of Robert's rangers and if he knew Major Reynolds. Rogers replied that he knew Reynolds very well. The man then declared he was Scott Cooley, and, reaching into his pocket, he pulled out John Worley's ears. You take these ears to Major Reynolds with my compliments, but don't you tell anybody you saw me. Rogers duly delivered the ears, and Reynolds cautioned him to say nothing about them. Forty years afterwards, at an old settler's reunion in Sweetwater, Norman Rogers mentioned this incident in a speech. He had kept his promise to Cooley and Reynolds all those years. Having lost his friends and his sympathizers in the rangers, Cooley returned to Blanco County, where he had formerly lived. Here he was stricken with brain fever, and though tenderly nursed, shielded by his friends, he died without ever being brought to trial for his killings. This ended the Mason County War but before the few died some ten or twelve men were killed, and a race war narrowly averted. End of chapter 5